AI and content, they go together like salt and pepper, or maybe more like oysters on pizza. <laughs> Ew, maybe you like it, but I don't. And it depends on who you ask. For Ty Magnan, CEO of Animals, he's a big believer that AI can give content markers superpowers. And he's doubled the organic traffic for a client using AI-driven content. So in this Marketing Power-Ups episode, you learn, first of all, how to create AI content that matches your brand voice and tone. Second, the tools that Ty loves using for AI-driven content. Third, Ty's process for creating content using AI. And number four, a career power-up that's helped Ty accelerate his growth. Before I get started, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download for free and apply Ty's AI-driven content strategy. You can find that at marketingpowerups.com or in the show notes and description below. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to talk about marketing power-ups. You've been in, in content. You've led, um, you know, marketing at AppQs. You've led marketing at UiPath before. You're leading it all the way to IPO. I'm super exciting to, to talk about content because there's this thing that I saw online that you're like doing this side hustle around AI and SEO content. I'm. It actually started off. It seems like it started with a story. You were talking about a blog post a day, which is. Super, super ambitious. I can't imagine like posting a blog post on this. Uh, can you, what, what is the story behind this blog post that they campaign? And yeah, yeah I'm curious yeah. how AI started in your world. Totally. Well, I think like all of us, you know, um, generative AI is just like a super interesting game changing technology that I think everyone has this interest in, uh, dabbling with or putting to real use. Um, I wanted to put it to real use. You know, I, I think I was sort of early to believe. I think we all had like an experience with like GPT-3 maybe uh, and similar tools that we all like used it once and like kind of felt like, oh, it's not that good, right? But then there was like a quiet evolution uh, maybe in November, maybe it was in like August last year where they had some new release and it started to actually be pretty damn good. Um and so I was at a company leading marketing at the time called Emote. It's like a SMS marketing technology. And, you know, we really didn't have a lot of organic traffic coming through. And, you know, having the app use DNA, right? Like that's one channel that I feel is a strength of mine and that could really be good for this business. It made sense for them. Um, and so I wanted to just like, you know, put the throttle down on pumping out organic. And, you know, the usual way that we've been doing this is you go pay an agency like an animals, you know, a premium to handwrite this stuff um, or some freelancers you're writing it in-house. It's pretty costly, right? Um, but with Gen AI, I was like, well, fucking China. It's like <laughs> So cool. And, yeah. Know, we had an SEO person at the time. You had a keyword list of like right. 300 great ideas, you know? Wow. Yeah. That like made sense for us, you know? And so I was like, I don't want to spend three years getting through this thing. Like, let's, let's go. So yeah, um, we spent, I don't know, 300 bucks a blog post. We partnered with animals actually very early on. Like, I think they hadn't really done this thing yet, but we were kind of the test dummies. I, I talked Ryan Law into doing it, who was there this, as a CMO at the time. Right. Um, and we did it. We did a blog post a day. We saw our organic traffic just like 
literally 30 days in just double, like big step to growth. And I think like Google just liked seeing the cadence of content we were putting right. in, right? Like we went from doing, I don't know, one every other week to like one every day. Um, <laughs> and we were rewarded for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kept going up to the right until I, I stepped off that company after five months or something. But that's a cool, cool experiment that you know people usually think like, hey, it takes, I don't know, six months is what I've heard traditionally for you to see right. results from SEO. Yeah, that's because you're doing like, like one blog post every week. You know? <laughs> you condense right. that timeline, Ramley. You just yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. People never, I've never seen that so dramatic for rice. The other thing that's what super interesting. Is, just to note, we did have good backlinks already at the domain mm, homepage and right. a decent domain authority. So we were working with something like a solid, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. From their like, early days. Animal's price is not not cheap <laughs> and i think they've been, they increased their price at some point to like yep. come up with a blog post a day that's like i'm not sure six figures at least maybe more right? but we did <laughs> so well part of the deal was we dropped the price way down right because they're using generative ai right exactly well now they have actually a generative ai practice if we can call it that and it's like way more you know economical we'll say um and they're, you know, a lot of clients are kind of eating that up at, as an alternative to the the premium work, you know? And so we're all just figuring it out. But like, for me, there's kind of two tiers in content. Like there's the generative AI, like SEO focused stuff that you can and should do at high volume right now. I don't know if it'll last forever. Eventually Google might, you know, chip away at how much traffic they're sending to your site, but whatever, like it's working right now. And I think because that's becoming a bit more commoditized, potentially, that like the higher level thought leadership stuff is becoming that much more important, right? And so what I'm kind of toying with is like, how does tier two support tier one? Um, and like, what does tier one look like if it's not organic focused, you know, blog posts? It's interesting you're talking about the... Can you talk a little bit about that tier? Like, you see, that sounds super interesting. Tier one is like the best kind of content. Is that what you're saying? And then tier three is not that, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I kind of see it that way. So tier one, I mean, I'm sure you have a ton of ideas around this. Like you're doing this now, like this is tier one in a sense, or a lot of the shows or the series that you've produced for AppQs are tier one for me. Like use their onboarding academy, like. That shit's valuable, right? Like you can almost mm. sell thing. It's so valuable. Yeah. Um, I just helped the company vendor produce a Q1 SaaS trends report. Mm. It took all of vendors like, so vendor basically is a, um, I don't know what to call it anymore, but like it's kind of aspiring to be a marketplace for people to buy and sell SaaS. So they have a lot mm. of transaction information about, you know, who bought what SaaS and how much. And so that is like a treasure trove of data that we turned into a quarter of the report that was like custom design, custom dev, you know, probably like 10,000 words. Like right. we invested a ton in it. And for me, that's another example of tier one content. Um, yeah, there's probably a zillion examples of that, but it's that stuff that is like could be generative AI supported, but is not like at its core generated from some corpus of you know, language model. Mm. And then the, 
what would you consider tier two and tier three? Like SEO content would be tier three, like more like, I guess, targeted keywords. Is that what you would say? I'm not entirely sure. I'm curious yeah. what, how you see the lower tiers. I do think it's that. It's like, you know, the, the keywords that are probably not your most important keywords because mm. the most important ones might still need to be handwritten in a way, right? Like you need that thing to rank first and you're going to invest a lot in doing that. Um, so I see tier two. I only have two tiers in this very simple model. Okay. okay? That's cool. That's like, <laughs> kind of like all the other keywords that you're kind of like, hey, we're just filling in these gaps. We're going to bring up our domain authority. We're going to teach Google that like these are the topics that we want to rank for right. and so on. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like you see I, it though. Like, give me your two cents on this idea. I could, t- I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. You know, it totally makes sense. I think it, it's, um, what I'm hearing with the tier, like tier one are ones that you invest a ton of resources designing it. it you know, you could, a lot of like your thinking process where like, you know, that report for vendor that might have like compiling data is hard work, right? Like, like making it, understandable, readable, digestible, and like valuable. It's like you need a human to do that, to like really like dig into the data. Uh, and then tier two would be more, you're right. I think so, some of the stuff that has worked in the past where we got a bunch of keywords, <laughs> let's write a blog post about it that has this specific H2 headings and this many images. And so that it ranks for that, but like, it might not necessarily be, um, you know, novel or new in that sense. It could be right. like a traditional, maybe listicle side to it. That's right. what I'm hearing right. here. Right. And my answer is like, why would we do tier two? My, my short answer is because it still works. Still works. Yeah. You showed it with this example. And I think I saw in LinkedIn that you, you've also worked with a few other, you know, companies as a side hustle that has right double their organic traffic just based right. on this right right yeah so i've seen e- each client so far you know knock on wood i started basically <laughs> side hustle around the turn of the year because we saw i saw the success with the motive i was like all right shit i can make some extra money you know just offering this to friends who you know would also benefit um and so each company has seen their organic growth rate really make a big increase um usually like 2xing their organic growth rate so moving from Five percent month over month, which is really good, to like ten percent because they wow. increase their right. cadence and output through generative AI services. Do you have a hunch? I, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, like you know it's working right now, but Google can like totally remove <laughs> remove this almost yeah. arbitrage. Like, well, I'm curious. Like, for sure, while while still working, we should tap should tap into that opportunity. Will yeah. you do you see that continuing going forward this year? I know, or like, will that yep. end anytime soon? It's a great question. I don't think, Randley, like, and I'm really curious to get your input on this. And, and there are some people that are far more expert in this, you know, sort of in the, the, the thinking about this than I am. But a few things feel clear to me. One, one of the biggest companies in the world, right? Alphabet or Google their biggest revenue driver is all about like mm. sending traffic places, right? So like right. for them, they don't want to totally disrupt themselves, I imagine, and like stop sending people traffic because then who's advertising there? Like what is the advertising model on Google? So there's probably an artful way 
that they start, they might continue to reduce the number of clicks. Cause like we have seen a reduction in clicks over the years, right? Zero click search is the big thing. Um, and we might continue to see that trend, but it, I don't think it's going to zero anytime soon. Right. The other argument is like, okay, maybe Bing, that's so funny. It's would have been laughable years ago. Like maybe Bing starts to take more of a portion of Google's traffic because people like using the open AI search engine, whatever they're, what are they calling that now? But I don't think we're like really at risk of search oriented content going to zero anytime soon. Before I continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. Now, when you're in scale-up growth mode and you have to hit your KPIs, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups, and it's a lot to handle. There's demand gen, email sequences, RevOps, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWall, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundation for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine I think it's Eli, Eli Schwartz and Kevin Indig who talk about it in their, sh their show Cotrian Marketing where I I don't Google, it's their cash cow. <laughs> the search the right. search ads, right? Like they don't want to disrupt that. They've been forced to disrupt that uh, through, you know, Bing and OpenAI like doing this. And I think you're right. I think the next, at least next 12 months, uh, I mean, knock on wood here because like we can look back to this episode they're like, Ty and Ramley's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah I, right. Like people don't Google search anymore. They they, they just use their brain. <laughs> just plugged in. They plugged it into this algorithm, and they can just think. Now I'm not entirely sure what the future looks like, but I think you're right. It's it's uh something that Google will have to figure out. But they're not gonna fully kill their their cash cash cow again to figure figure that stuff out. I mean, that, that's an interesting discussion around like what state of content can look like in 23. I think the other thing that I'd love to chat with you about specifically is, you know, you've, you've seen content evolve um, in, in a fast growing company or startup and even an enterprise company. At AppKeys, I would say we're still like figuring that out. We're like in, we, it's funny because we were joking, like we're in this messy middle where we're like trying to figure out exactly where we're going to go. They're going to go next. So, but you've seen it all. You had UiPath, like went to, all the way to IPO. You were at AppQs. You're at Motive. You're a vendor. I'm curious, like how you see content evolve as it goes to a maturity, a different level of maturity. Let's start all the way down at the beginning, <laughs> right? Like it's actually interesting to think about zero to one content. Right. Yeah. And my favorite, the, the I still tell companies to follow the AppQs playbook, um, mm. which was, I don't know if you know this, tell me, but um, right. Jonathan and Jackson are the two founders of AppQs. And early, early on, they built a user onboarding academy. Okay, which was like a 12 lesson course, maybe 16 at the time on different, you know, it's chronological in a way it was sort of organized um, on, you know, the different lessons and angles into user onboarding. And they even had, you know, different experts like Samuel Hulick and other design types um, write articles for them. Um, and they hosted that all on their website. 
So it was this deep, probably the deepest thing on user onboarding at the time, you know? And that that asset continues to pay dividends for AppQs mm. today. I'm sure it's yeah. evolved a lot, right? Like now, yeah. like you have to tell the audience. I, I basically went from written to like, we did a video form of it and like, what is what is the user onboarding academy now? Right. I think the, the, when I came across it, it was 2019. I was working at Product Led to us. It was like a five day email series, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, that it, sounds right. And then, yep. it, then it turned into the Product Adoption Academy, which the evolution is that now. But what is that? Like what's inside the Product Adoption Academy? If I go sign up for it today, what do I get? Right. Yeah, it's it's um, it, that course, User Onboarding 101. It's like a six lesson, uh, self-paced, um, mostly text, but some videos from experts. Very similar to what you mentioned. You know, I got videos from uh, Andrew Kaplan, uh, Samuel Ulick. Uh, so it's it is very. I, w- I would say like it sounds very similar to what you just mentioned all the way from the very beginning, which is just ah, cool. still paying dividends. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I think when you when you look at if a founder asks you, like, how do I get started doing content? Like, I think it, you know, it's like don't just write random blog articles, like go write the deepest thing on the problem that you're trying to solve, you know, and like unpack your brain there and get your friends that you've been talking to to also contribute. I think that's important. I think a written form is one way to do it. I think nowadays, like, I don't know, videos and podcasts and LinkedIn, like it might not show up the same way um, as V1. But that's what I think is a good way to get it off the ground. From then at AppQs, like what we went to do is we, I said, I can't, this is where I came in and I said, well, I think I'll start a blog. Like if I'm going to double down on content, what's that going to be? Am I going to write the next user onboarding academy? No. I said, you know, we're in this experimental phase. We're going to dabble in product adoption, feature adoption, all these different areas. And so we started writing in a more sort of broad sense. Um, and then we kept seeing organic traffic increase and increase, and we just doubled down on it again and again, right? So we hired a full, first we hired animals. Right? We were able to go from one blog post a week to do blog posts a week. Then we hired mm. writer, and then we went from two to three, right? Well, and so on yeah. and so forth yeah. until, you know, we hire a video person now. That's another way to, to do more content. And and so that's kind of how it went through that stage. Um, up until where you are, which, I mean, I guess you're calling it the messy middle. Um, <laughs> so before I talk about UiPath, because that is kind right. of the other spectrum, right. that's the enterprise playbook. Why don't you catch me up on like, what does right. the content program at AppQs look like today? It's funny, you mentioned, you all the stuff you mentioned is like what we're focusing on even more. So like tier one, if correct me if I'm wrong, this is tier one content, right? You're really like investing in like really in-depth guides and content. Um, the past the past year, the the tier two stuff hasn't performed as well. Those like SEO pieces, and that's why we're like you mentioned focusing more on video, focusing more on academy and educational pieces uh, as well. So I think. Sounds like it came full circle <laughs> or like it started with tier one. It went to tier one plus tier two. And then like now it's more like 80, 90% is probably focused on that tier one versus the tier two side. Where's distribution coming from for AppQs these days? Right. I think distribution wise, SEO is still our biggest play. Though it's like not as effective. Well, everybody across SaaS has seen like a decrease in SEO. 
um this uh, yeah i mean it's mainly like we have that email list that we we have like i think 30 30,000 um and then started doing more like more outbound stuff in the sales side um so i think email social and then outbound has been and also search search a little big piece lately yeah interesting yeah i think content in 2023 is like kind of back to the beginning we're just trying to yeah figure out. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah so I, yeah you're not alone in that i'm feeling the same thing um do you want me to talk about your ipad i'm curious what how that has been diff- a different experience for you in terms of like your approach to content there your team yeah like at app cues you can kind of extrapolate from what i already said which is like i was able to kind of help edit and direct a lot of the content and the subject matter that we should be writing on because I understood the domain pretty well and understood our product. And like, you know, one person could kind of oversee it all. But a UiPath, so for context, I joined UiPath again, Series B. We had three products. We were like 40 million in revenue. By the time I got off, we were a billion in revenue and beyond. Wow. We had like 30 products. Like not wow. joking, 30 different SKUs. Shoot. So you went from three products to 30 in that 30. in that space that you were there yeah. and so no one person could be yeah. like over the stuff right so like, i couldn't even edit other people's stuff because i didn't know like the applications and then there you know we had a solutions team like big you know there's a big industry play and then there's like the horizontal plays and so like you quickly realize that like your content team is an expert in nothing and so the playbook becomes like, how do I get this team to empower all these SMEs across the organization? Subject matter, that's SMEs, SMEs. Word I didn't know until I joined UiPath, by the way. And um, facilitate, right, content production through them. And I have right. to get them to like use the right terminology, right? Maybe sound a bit on brand if you have a kind of centralized brand voice. Sometimes right. companies say, I want you, Ramley, to sound like you. Uh, but for us, we cared about sounding like UiPath a little bit more, like a bit. Um, and so it was about like implementing the tools and the processes and building the relationships for content creation across an organization with like, you know, just like depth to it. That's That sounds exhausting. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, like there's just so much dirty products I, what did the how, what did the con like was there like one content marketer focused on five products like how did that uh, work in that sense now I'm like looking at UiPath and LinkedIn there's like over I'm not sure if this is correct but over four thousand employees uh, as of today so yeah um, right what was that yeah what, how did how did you manage that <laughs> so it's a huge yeah it's um, we're definitely like chasing a rock down a hill like <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah i don't know if you ever hear jackson the ceo at accused used to always say like a lot of startups like every day it's sisyphean you're pushing a rock up a hill right. you still say this yes oh yeah he just yeah. said it uh two first thirds ago first thirds is like our yes company why he just like it's like rope. <laughs> yeah. yes yeah yes and so most startups the whole trajectory is pushing a rock up a hill every single day at some point, the hope is that like you tip over that hill and now you're basically chasing the rock 
down a hill and you're kind of like, just don't kill anyone. Just don't kill anyone. <laughs> don't, you know, go destroy That's something. You're right. The whole time it was like, we're chasing the rock down the hill. Um, I think it was just a semblance of like great product market fit. It was just like, we're in a white hot space at the right time. So um, really it was about like keeping people from doing something that's off brand or like creating content that's just like not aligned to our core messaging, things like that. Um, one key tool for us that we implemented that really helped us hone in all these content contributors was writer.com or writer. Um, it helped us align everybody to our voice and tone and used AI to do that. So it would like basically proofread someone's doc and say, this is long-winded or this sounds sound casual, which is how we wanted to come across, et cetera. Um, it also had a terminology bank, which you can imagine is super important for a company with 30 SKUs, right? Like we had such a proliferation of like how to, you know, product names, key feature names, et cetera. And so it would work like Grammarly in a way, or like even like Microsoft Word spell check to say, you know, here's how to use the right term. Um, and so that, that was hugely useful. It did more than just that, but like that was the core of what we bought it for. And, um, you know, we had content contributors from just like we had hundreds of them, you know, cause you had like, your team in the Netherlands, right? That was writing, that wanted to put out a white paper on like some industry important to them. Like they were working with a freelancer or an agency that was, we're going to host this on the website. So like we had to make sure that that sounded like UiPath the same way that something written by our CMO does. Um, And so a writer was important and then building again, the processes and the relationships helped us manage that at scale. Do you find like people, the inbound requests for like that, for example, that white paper, was that an inbound request from that team in Netherlands or like, or the content team was like actively pursuing SMEs in the organization? So there's the thought around like, are you a centralized service business or are you Mm -hmm. like decentralized and you're kind of the enabler of Mm -hmm. other teams to create great content? We, in the beginning were centralized when we were a marketing team of 40 when i joined or so we were creating like all the content you know like sure product marketing wrote product pages and we helped them with that but like we were writing you know so it would be a request and we produce it if it's a value that became smaller over time believe it or not and um instead we became the enabler of others to produce great content and then we also helped like we measured how content performed. And if we saw something work well, you know, we call it out and try to facilitate more of that and then vice versa, right? If people were producing some stuff that wasn't getting downloaded, call that out. We start kind of cutting back on that. Um, so it was almost like we were evangelizing content and good content in the organization. And that was kind of the central role, which again, back to our original point, <clears throat> super different, right? Than what you're doing. In Europe. It's like right. what you're doing in the messy or in the early days. It's a very different kind of role. Mm, that's super interesting. You find like going back, I like I really love this two-tier system that you talked about earlier, and I'm trying to apply it here. Um, will you did you find like you were doing more of that tier one content? Like the white paper I would consider a tier one, less so tier like a tier two kind of stuff. Or I'm curious because I'm I've only so my my past roles have been mainly in like those messy middle companies. I worked once where, I worked at GoDaddy once where our company got acquired. So I stayed there for 
three months i didn't stay long <laughs> so like this is like super new to me what you're talking about so i'm really curious how that how everything is including this this mix yeah so great question um we actually did have three tiers of content oh okay I- that's cool. <laughs> All right, exciting. My own mold. Yeah. So the first tier was stuff we deemed as of strategic importance. Right. And we had a calculator that actually looked at three factors for every idea or project that came our way. The three factors were value to customer, right? So what is this thing? How valuable is this thing on a one to five scale to our customer? The next was value to the business, value to UI, to UiPath. You know, how much revenue, basically, do you think we can expect from this thing? And the third thing was feasibility. Like, do we have the time, the resources, the expertise to produce this thing? If it ranked, if a project or an idea ranked really high, that might become a tier one strategic asset. And we produce those in-house by hand ourselves. Mm, interesting. Tier two, the next level down would be we would fund it, okay? But it was produced by our trusted agent. So again, the content team says, this is of strategic importance still. We will pay, but we can't do it ourselves. We don't have the resources. So we will fund it and we will still edit it and manage the project. And then tier three was basically, it. not that important. (laughs) It is a bit more. So we would say the model is, the operating model would be, you fund it or you do it yourself. And you do it within these guidelines, meaning like, is it obvious? They have to like follow the brand process or like if they're building like a web page, it has to follow a certain format, et cetera, et cetera. What was this, the split mix across uh, this? Yeah, I'm curious now. Like, is it like 40, 30? I'm not entirely sure. This could be just off the top of your head, like what that looks like for you. It's a great question. Like, what was this between each tier? Um a lot ended up in tier two. A few things, a quarter would be in tier one. And then a lot of stuff over time became tier three because we got better and better at enabling teams over the years. Kind of out of necessity, but also strategically, you know, we just knew that we couldn't do it all. The first few years at UiPath, Randall, it was like, we were just drowning. We we're chasing the rock down the hill. We we're just drowning in requests and ideas and needs right. because, like, we were growing from three SKUs to thirty, right. and we were growing right. thousand people to four thousand. We were growing from forty million revenue to you know five hundred over these couple first years. And so, um, yeah, it, it was just a lot of hours and a lot of stress and a lot of things that fell through the cracks. Um, but through that, that to me was our messy middle. And on the other side was this pretty clear system that was right-sized for the the business that we were in. We're at this, I'm, I'm curious what you take us on this, because this is a challenge we're facing at AppKeys right now, where, you know, there's, there's this drive to create more content. And sometimes there's too many content programs at that point where like, there's the academy, there's a podcast, there's the good UX, and there's this, and then it gets to the point where like, there's a lot. <laughs> like, did you get to that point at UiPath? We're like, shoot, we have so many content programs. Like, how do they all fit together? How do they tie together? And that tier system is 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 very helpful. But like, I'm curious, did you ever face that problem there at UiPath? Where like, there's this too many program kind of problems, content programs, um, in 
curious of what what your approach what was your approach yeah we did sometimes like i think about our customer reference program which i sort of inherited and then carried along with me for a year or two and then you know kind of limped along <laughs> towards the end of my time there um but but what happened was so like the production of case studies and customer videos okay like that was kind of core to this customer reference program and um it was a little bit like it felt like it was a tier two tier three thing like it's important to the business but like it wasn't the thing that people like we had enough of it It was like going well it didn't need to be going that much better so it was kind of like limping along you know and what we what happened over the years was like we kind of played hot potato with the responsibility, you know, <laughs> so like, right? So like we would it was like contents thing, and then we kind of tossed it out to mm. the regions, like hey regional marketers, like you deal with this, <laughs> and then they kind of would toss it back after right. a year, right? Yeah, and so um, that's not a way to solve the issue. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what happened. I also think back to AppQ's days. Um, I mean, listen, you have to kill your darlings, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to yeah. cut stuff that's just not pulling all the weight. Like it's kind of, it's usually an 80-20, right? It's mm-hmm. like 20% of the stuff's pulling 80% of the weight. And if, you know, if you've been giving something an earnest go and it hasn't really gotten to that 80%, you kind of have to take a hard look at it and figure out, all right, where does this, how does this, you know, continue or how do we, how do we wind it down? I guess is the better question. That's a uh, very helpful. I think especially you know, Jackson talks, has been talking a lot more lately about focus, you know, like let's, let's focus on, on things. And I think this is like super, super important for people to realize, like there's just so many content options. You can do podcasts. Now there's, now there's TikTok, there's threads, so many things that you, that content teams can do and like focusing on the right thing. And going back to the right thing, especially for startups, maybe that tier one, like in-depth content is where people should start first. Well, I think what this takes is good measurement, right, Ramley? Like you have to know what's driving pipeline or MQLs or revenue at the end of the day. And if you have a decent enough attribution model, then you can just kind of, you know, unemotionally say, and it's hard, of course, with like a podcast. It's like, I don't know right. if they hear about the cats and it's fine. It's like, I get it. But then you can also do like self-attributed surveys uh, and whatnot. Like there's a way to do this stuff that can help guide you on where you want to double down and where you want to cut. Um, and I think that content marketers do themselves sometimes a disservice by not setting that stuff up like early enough and being disciplined about tracking their expenses and their investments against you know, any returns. Um, too many times we like leave it to demand gen to figure that out. But really, I think it's everyone's job in marketing, regardless of where you sit. It's not just about like, often I feel like content teams are just like, hey, let's just get traffic. <laughs> you know, let's just, let's just get the eyeballs and demand gen will figure out how to convert them or the growth team, the growth mark- perform- performance or growth marketing team will figure out how to convert them once we have them. But to your right. point, like it's the mar- it's the whole marketing's job to create that pipeline, or else, you know, yep. who wouldn't have that job? Demand Gen's good at measuring their own stuff, okay. And you might think, oh, Demand Gen, you'll help me figure out how my content efforts are returning, but like, yo, often they don't. And then when it comes time, when it's you know twenty twenty three in the spring, and the CEO is making layoffs and cuts, right? Like. If you left it up to demand gen to figure out your 
attribution and they didn't, like, you're fucked. Like, <laughs> right. So you're probably getting it all. Yeah. Right. Like, so like taking into your own hands, content marketers, maybe we'd be getting laid off a little less. You know what I mean? Because if we're able to say, this is how much pipe content's driving, we need to be doubling down, Mr. Executive or Mrs. Executive, not cutting. You know what I mean? I think then we become less of a squishy thing that is, you know, a nice to have and more of a core business and go-to-market driver. Yeah. I feel like that's that's such an important point. Um, especially I feel like more marketing teams these days are like trying to do trying to do more with less or trying to increase their pipeline with less people or less budget. So I think the being I guess discipline about like figuring out which channels are working, which is not super important there. I want to shift gears and talk about career power-ups uh, specifically for you. You know, you've been in marketing for over a decade. We're head of marketing at AppKeys way before my time, but I still, like, once again, I still see your name on Google Drive, which is super cool to chat with you here. You were director of marketing at UiPath, uh, and then, you know, you worked at Vendor. I'm curious, like, what's a power-up that's helped you accelerate your career? Uh, it could be you know, something soft scale. It could be something that's more marketing related, but what is that? power up that's helped you in your career yeah love it um for me the power up and actually i'd take a page from jackson knoll who's the ceo at afcuses uh, uh his book um which is basically to focus on the principles of psychology if you will and if you master those and you understand cognitive biases and like that's what your tool belt is made of then regardless of how markets evolve, technologies evolve, if you're in a big company or a small company, like you'll have a core to pull from um, and it can be applied to so many things. So yeah, the power up is understand human psychology and use that in your marketing. That's so good. That applies to so many things in marketing, like content, brand, um, demand gen. I think if that foundation really is uh, core to it. It's funny because like I, I got a chance to chat with Margaret Kelsey who also worked at, at AppQs and she said like marketing is just, uh, just, she's so great. She said marketing is just changing behavior at scale and if you don't know the core principles of that then like how do you how do you even do your job? How do we even do our job as, as marketers essentially? It's also it's such a hack because psychology doesn't change often. Mm. Like the yeah. internet does, right? So like if you understand those um, principles, then you can have a long career just based off of that. And one final question, if you can give yourself, a younger version of you, a piece of, it could be one or two pieces of advice, it could be more, it could be around marketing, it could be around career, it could be around life. What would be an advice you'd give a younger version of Ty who, you know, just maybe starting out or it's just like getting out of college and trying to figure out what to do in life or in marketing? I think it'd be to stay balanced in life, pursue all that's interesting, not just career stuff. I think looking back in my 20s, I really focused in on work. Um, and although I think that gave me a bit of a maybe a head start or like I got to skip a rung in the ladder. Um, I also think that it came at a cost of like, 
just being like being a more interesting person, right? And having more balance in life. And I think now, like, I don't know, I, I think I'm paying the cost of that a little bit. Um, so yeah, all the folks that were a little more balanced in their approach through their twenties that I sort of turned my nose up to, I sort of, I, I now am like, oh, maybe they understood something. Um, so yeah, my advice would be slow down. Slow down. Know? That's good. And when you say balance, is that work and life balance or like just, did you like overwork yourself at that? Is that what you're, you're talking about there? Like you know, working 60 yeah, hours a week? So. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, there's something like, I think it was the working hard. And then also it's, it's not just that the Ramley was also just letting go of myself a little bit and like, you know, experiencing a lot of things like, you know, I sort of just like would say yes to anything that I thought was going to like drive my career mm-hmm. forwards, um, which could be more hours, which could be a different job, but I'm not sure it was totally in tune with like, you know, my inner child's, I guess, uh, and what I want long-term. So anyways, I'm still wrestling with this one, but I think there's something there. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's totally true. The inner child piece is so important. I keep going back to Margaret because she's just very fresh. Uh, she talks about like yeah. you know having having fun in a creative output somewhere, which sounds I don't know that sounds like a very Margaret thing to say. <laughs> she's like this artist that creates and paints, and I feel like that there is definitely something there where like sometimes the creative output to your work kind of pulls away from creative output somewhere else, and finding that even that balance there where like. You're doing stuff to create, not necessarily to, to I guess, make a ton of money out of that creating thing that you're doing could be very healthy for a lot of folks. I love that. Yeah, like most of us got into marketing because it's fun to create stuff, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, yeah, don't, don't lose that through the process for sure. And, and also don't put all your eggs in one basket and expect to get all your creative joy mm-hmm. out of work. Like mm-hmm. it's important to also pursue that on the side. I used to write a lot of poetry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Studied it in college, the whole thing. And like, since I started working, I gave it up. Like I, I it wasn't intentional. I just like stopped. And it's not that I just gave up the, the, the time I spent writing it, but like I gave up in some sense, the like poetry, like writing poetry is a way to explore the world. Mm. It's like it's like a lens to view the world through that open-minded and present. And I feel like some of that has been, I'm very, I'm like that way at work. But then when I leave it, it's kind of off. Like I'm, I'm, I guess my advice is like, don't trade one for the other. Don't, don't put all your eggs mm. into the work basket. But you can see I'm still kind of writing this thing out. I That's think good. I learn every day. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Pops newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. Go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Powerups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, can you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify? Leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Powerups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening.
That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode. <laughs>